inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Wednesday, June 7th. 2023. It's the Feast of St. Willibald. Willibald, an 8th century bishop of Ekstadt in, in Bavaria, was known for his extensive travels and devout missionary work. Born in Wessex around 700, he was the son of Richard the Pilgrim and Wuna of Wessex, with a brother named Winnebald and a sister named Walburga. At the age of three, Willibald fell seriously ill. Miraculously, he survived and entered the Benedictine monastery at Waldheim at age of five, embracing the monastic ideal of peregrinato religioso. In 721, Willibald embarked on a pilgrimage to Rome with his father and his brother. Along the way, they visited shrines and prayed, but their journey took a tragic turn when his father passed away. Willibald and Winnebald continued their pilgrimage until they fell seriously ill. But through their prayers, they were miraculously healed. Willibald and his companions sailed to Naples in 724, exploring Sicily and Greece before reaching Asia Minor. They visited various holy sites, including Ephesus in the tomb of John the Evangelist. Their pilgrimage eventually led them to the Holy Land. After his pilgrimage, Willibald joined the Benedictine community of Monte Cassino and played a vital role in the monastery's reformation. In 738, Willibald received a request from Boniface, a prominent missionary, to assist in his work in Germany. Willibald arrived in Eckstadt when he was ordained a priest by Boniface in 741 and consecrated as the Bishop of Eckstadt in 746. Under Willibald's guidance, the double monastery of Heidenheim was founded in 742, becoming an influential center for the spread of Christianity. For over four decades, Willibald dedicated himself to his Episcopal duties, sharing his inspiring journey and teaching. His life and travels left a lasting impact on the church. Today, he is remembered as a devout bishop, a courageous traveler, and a dedicated missionary. His shrine is located in Eichstadt Cathedral in Germany, where his relics are preserved. St. Willibald, pray for us. Happy Wednesday to you. Praise be to God. And so glad to be here with you. I hope you are having a blessed day and a wonderful week. Uh, we're halfway there, so you are almost to the weekend. Then you can take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Um, but for now, we, we fight on through for the rest of the week, and I know that you're going to succeed. Uh, but joining us right now is Tito Edwards. Good morning to you, Tito. Good morning, Adrian. Wow, it's already Wednesday. Can you believe that? It's uh, we're halfway through the week. Yes, we definitely can make it through this week, and uh, we have a good show for you for everybody today. And uh, look forward to listening to it myself. Thank there you. you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. At <laughs> uh, fifteen past the hour, we're going to be uh, discussing. We mentioned yesterday a little bit, but I want to get further into the information here on Kansas City having invalid masses is a very concerning story. In fact, this might be one of the most concerning stories that we've covered in a long time, actually. And I think it's not getting as nearly enough uh, press as you would imagine it should get. At 30 past the hour, John Yep is going to be on with, to, with us to discuss Catholics for Catholics, to discuss the keeping Catholic politicians accountable. And in the next hour, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today will be on to discuss the virtues. 
And of course, we always have our Fear and Trembling Game Show, where we're going to give out prizes. That'll be this Friday, but today you have a chance to win, so make sure you call in later today. Let's begin with prayer, as is our custom. We'll pray to the Sacred Heart during this month of June, dedicated to the Sacred Heart. And we'll pray for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. And in a special way during the month of June, we pray for the smashing of the LGBT heresy and everything that comes with it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My loving Jesus, out of the grateful love I bear thee, and as a reparation for all my unfaithfulness, I give thee my heart, and I consecrate myself wholly to thee. And with thy aid, I propose never to sin again. Heart of Jesus, burning with love for us, inflame our hearts with love of thee. Let us pray, Lord, we beseech thee, let thy Holy Spirit kindle in our hearts the fire of charity, which our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, sent forth from his innermost heart upon this earth, and fill that it should burn with vehemence, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, forever and ever Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Wednesday, May 7th, Anno Domini 2023, and these are your headlines. LifeSite News is reporting Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione of San Francisco has raised his voice in protest and warning against the continued public acts of anti-Catholic violence and mockery plaguing American cities. His complaint follows a recent incident of vandalism at a historic Mission San Rafael in San Francisco in which law enforcement watched the crime in real time and refused to intervene to prevent it. Our nation is now struggling to come to terms with its history of racism, the Archbishop said, yet universally ignored is its long, deep, and sordid history of anti-Catholicism. LifeSite News is reporting Archdiocese of Kansas City warns masses at three parishes may have been invalid for years due to wrong wine. Archbishop Joseph Nauman said that multiple priests at parishes in his archdiocese discovered the long-term use of wines that were in fact invalid matter for the confection of the Eucharist. The Pillar reported on June 5th that Archbishop Joseph Nauman of Kansas City in Kansas had issued a May 31st letter to his priests regarding the proper wine to be used for Mass. The circumstances that brought about the letter were, according to the letter from the Archbishop which LifeSite has received, the recent discovery of invalidly celebrated masses. Vatican News is reporting at the end of the general audience on Wednesday morning. Today, Pope Francis was admitted to Rome's A. Gemelli University Hospital, where he will undergo surgery in the early afternoon. A statement released by the Holy See office said the Holy Father will undergo a laparotomy and abdominal wall surgery under general anesthesia. The surgery, decided upon over the fast past few days by the medical team assisting the Holy Father, became necessary due to the an incisional laparocle hernia that is causing recurrent painful and worsening sub-occlusive syndromes, the statement said. The press office added that the Pope will remain in the hospital for several days to allow for a normal post-operative course and full functional recovery. The Pope's admission to the hospital follows a visit and consultation with the doctors at the same facility on Tuesday afternoon. And finally, Catholic News is reporting 
during the Kansas City Chiefs' visit to the White House this past Monday in celebration of their Super Bowl victory in February, the team's kicker, Harrison Butker, made a statement in his support of the unborn by wearing a custom-made necktie with a pro-life message. Butker, a faithful Catholic, wore a tie that says, Vulnerari Presidio, a Latin phrase he says means protect the most vulnerable. I want to give the most vulnerable, the unborn, a voice at a place where every effort has been made to allow and normalize the tragic termination of their lives, Butker said in a June 6th statement. Those were your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. Then he was approached with a question by the Sadducees, men who say that there is no resurrection. Master, they said, Moses prescribed for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow behind him, but no children, he, the brother, should marry the widow and beget children in the dead brother's name. There were seven brothers. The first married a wife and died childless. The second married her, and he too left no children. And so with the third. All seven married her without having children, and the woman died last of all. And now, when the dead rise again, which of these will be her husband? Since she was wife to all seven. Jesus answered them, Is not this where you are wrong, that you do not understand the scriptures? Or what is the power of God? When the dead rise, there is no marrying or giving in marriage. They are as the angels in heaven are. But as for the dead rising again, you have never read in the book of Moses how God spoke to him at the burning bush and said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Yet it is of living men, not of dead men, that he is the God. You are wrong then altogether. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary on the Gospel here comes from St. Thomas Aquinas and his Catena Aurea. And the Catena Aurea, he goes through and he lists what many of the church fathers had to say about this passage. Now, I want to start with one thing, though. I want to start with one thing, though, and that is the idea that in heaven... Who will you be married to, right? Well, it's in the marriage vows. Till death do us part. And so at death is when you are no longer married. So this person that you're married with, you will not be married to them in heaven. For there is no giving or receiving in marriage. Now, St. Thomas quoting the gloss says, After that, our Lord has prudently escaped the crafty temptation of the Pharisees. It is shown how... He also confounds the Sadducees who tempt him. Wherefore it is said, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. Now, it's important to note this because there is two different groups here. There is a, there's kind of this understanding, this thought among Catholics today and among many Christians today, that the Jews are like Catholics, that the Jews have a unified magisterium, have a unified system of religion. However, the Jews are more like the Protestants, where there's kind of an overarching idea that they all agree about, but then they have different sects within that in which they disagree extensively and could have any wide breadth of views. 
And so a certain heretical sect of the Jews called the Sadducees denied the resurrection and said that there was neither angel nor spirit. These then coming to Jesus craftily proposed to him a certain tale in order to show that no resurrection should take place or had taken place. And therefore there is added. And they asked him saying, Master, and in this tale, they laid down the seven men have married one woman in order to make men draw back from belief in the resurrection. Now notice here, this is a, a argument ad absurdum. So they're saying, oh, look how absurd it is to believe in the resurrection. Therefore, we should not believe it. But our Lord being the almighty he is, it clearly shows how their question is fundamentally flawed. There is no logic to it because there is no giving or receiving in, in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. At the resurrection of the body, there will be no marriage. And therefore, you, they, it's, not, it's a non-issue. Now, Venerable Bede said, And fitly do they frame such a fable in order to prove the madness of those who assert the resurrection of the body. Such a thing, however, might really have happened at some time or another among them. Pseudo-Jerome says, But in a mystical sense, what can this woman leaving no seed to seven brothers and last of all dying mean except the Jewish synagogue deserted by the sevenfold spirit, which filled these seven patriarchs, who did not leave to her the seed of Abraham, that is Jesus Christ. For although a son was born to them, nevertheless, he was given to us Gentiles. This woman was dead to Christ, nor shall she be joined in the resurrection to any patriarch of the seven. For by the number seven is meant the whole company of the faithful. Thus it is said, contrawise by Isaiah, seven women shall take hold of one man, Isaiah 4.1. That is, the seven churches which the Lord loves, reproves, and chastises adore him with one faith. Wherefore, it goes on that Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, not knowing the scripture, neither the power of God? As if he had said, Ye understand not what sort of resurrection the scripture announces. For you believe that there will be a restoration of our bodies such as they are now, but it shall not be so. Thus then ye know not the scriptures. Neither again do you know the power of God, for ye consider it as difficult things, saying, How can the limbs which have been scattered be united together and joined to the soul? But this, in respect to the divine power, is as nothing. There follows, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are the angels which are in heaven. As if he had said, There will be a certain heavenly and angelic restoration to life, when there shall be no more decay, and we shall remain unchanged. And for this reason... Marriage shall cease, for marriage now exists on the count of our decay, that we may be carried on by secession of our race, and not fail. But unlike the time when we are like angels, we'll never come to an end. Let's meditate, meditate upon that today. Hey Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion. Confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep. 
G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay, or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful. Or there's no fun in vowing. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. There are a lot of very concerning stories that are, well, of concern. Uh, Let's start here for a second, just for a brief moment. Tito mentioned it already, but... The situation with Pope Francis, so we continue to keep Pope Francis in our prayers, and that if uh, this be nearing his death, that we pray that he have a holy death. And the situation out of the hospital, he has been admitted to the hospital yet again. So he went to the hospital yesterday. We we reported on that yesterday. Today, he went back out, went did his general audience, and at the end of the audience, he went back to the hospital. And it is reported that he will be in the hospital, remain in the hospital for several days. And he's going to be having an operation on the abdominal wall. So that's very concerning. So he is in his late 80s or mid to late 80s. I think he's like 85 or 86 right now. So we definitely should uh, be praying that he have a holy death. So pray for that. Yeah, he's, he's been suffering a lot. Uh, this has been going on for quite a while. You could see the him uh, always straining and grimacing at times when he's walking. He's using a cane, and uh, due to the procedures and the medicines that he's taken, he has uh, gained some weight. He's been a bit bloated. So, yeah, we he has been suffering a lot the last few months. Definitely, we need to pray for the Holy Father for his uh, quick recuperation, and if that's not God's will, for a holy and uh, a peaceful death. So the story out of the pillar we mentioned yesterday, so we're going to go through it over a little bit more in depth, and I'm going to read to you also what Father Z had to say about this, a very concerning situation over in Kansas City. The Archbishop of Kansas City has warned that priests, that they could be offering Mass with invalid matter, that they should ensure their altar wine is both free from additives and especially vented for sacramental use. The archbishop wrote to priests on May 31st to warn that he has recently learned of parishes using wine that would invalidate their attempt to offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It has recently been reported by two priests having served in three different parishes, three different parishes, that upon their appointment to these parishes, they soon discovered the long-term use of wines that were in fact invalid matter for their confection of the Eucharist, Archbishop Joseph Nauman noted on May 31st letter obtained by the pillar. As a result, he wrote in those parishes, for any number of years, all masses were invalid and therefore the intentions for which those masses were offered were not satisfied, including the obligation pastors have to offer mass for the people. This is a gravely serious situation, which we must now petition the Holy See for guidance on restorative matters. In 2004, Vatican Instructions Redemptionis Sacramentum explains that the wine that is used in the most sacred celebration of the Eucharist sacrifice must be natural, from the fruit of the grape, pure and incorrupt, not mixed with other substances. It is altogether forbidden to use wine of doubtful authenticity 
or provenance. For the church requires certainty regarding the condition of nece- necessary for the validity of the sacraments. Nor are other drinks of any kind to be admitted for any reason, as they do not constitute valid matter. So if you know of a priest or a parish that is using things that are not uh, under the, these qualifications, you need to alert your bishop ASAP. Going on, while the dicastery for divine worship and the discipline of sacraments has confirmed that minute amounts of sulfates, which acts as a food preservative, can be permitted in a sacramental wine, it has stressed that other additives can render wines as dubious or doubtful matter for the valid celebration of the Mass. In Kansas City, Nauman noted that many commercially available wines contain additives such as elderberry, sugars, alcohol, etc., all of which would render the wine invalid matter. Now, notice it's additives of alcohol, not natural alcohol. That's the problem. To avoid the possibility of invalidly offered masses, the archbishop issued a decree mandating that only those wines commercially produced specifically for use at mass may hereafter be used in the celebration of the Most Holy Eucharist in all parochial and non-parochial churches, chapels, and oratories within the Archdiocese of Kansas City. While many dioceses require that only wine marketed for sacramental use be used at Mass, there is no definitive process for seeing a bottle of wine marketed to that effect. In some dioceses, bishops have certified that certain wine producers bottled wine only be produced by grapes without additives, that the wine is therefore acceptable matter for the Eucharist. But other wineries self-certify their wine as acceptable use, presumably after scrutinizing their production process. Ona de Vineyard, one of the country's largest producers of pure grape wine, was launched in 1872 directly by Bishop Bernard McQuaid, who wanted a reliable source for altar wine. The vineyard was eventually taken over by an apostolate of the Society of the Divine Word, which is passed into private hands, while remaining totally dedicated to producing a valid and licit sacramental wine. Now it goes on and lists some more information about where people can get sacramental wine and many other things around this topic. Now, I want to skip over towards the end of this article, and he says, in addition to establishing that wine must be produced only of grapes, canon law has other norms requiring the valid matter for the Eucharist celebration. While wine is generally considered to be a grape-based substance containing 8 to 14% alcohol, the church permits the use of mustum, and instead, a grape juice produced in the same manner of wine whose fermentation is suspended by freezing or other natural method. Mustum can be used if a priest is offering mass, has an alcohol intolerance, or is an alcoholic. Now, this is uh, something that is really interesting to me, and I've heard this many times in the past, and I personally, I would I'd be very careful about that. But nonetheless, the church allows for that, and the... And it's only in those circumstances. However, I think if a priest has a alcohol intolerance, I have a or question for you, Adrian, because I should I'm, not allow them to be priests to begin with. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar with uh, um, and the need of valid wine. Uh, what constitutes? It, can you break it down to in simple terms? What kind of wine? Can, so it cannot have any additives, or it has to be a certain percentage of wine, or what exactly right, so did what all I, that mean? Just reading, they has to contain eight to fourteen percent alcohol. Okay, and typically, unless it's this one exception, uh, which I'm like, okay, 
Uh, so 8 to 14% alcohol. has to be grape-based, no additives. It, it's really not, not that complicated. Okay. It's really not that. It, they should be able to easily fulfill this. Now, now the, for the host, it needs to be have the it has to have gluten in it. So no gluten free hosts are not possible. A low gluten host is possible, but a gluten free host is impossible because it's no longer bread. Very so, very important. So the problems in Kansas City were the wine, not the host. Right. But it still renders the mass invalid. Right. But and, even if the host is consecrated correctly. Right. So the mass has to have everything involved. Everything uh, has to be involved. It can't be parts. It, Right. Okay. So, okay. Right. So the the host has to be consecrated, and the wine has to be consecrated, and so that's very necessary. If the host is only consecrated, then they've it's validly consecrated, but the wine is not validly consecrated. You have a valid host consecrated, but you do not have a valid mass because you need to have the priest has to consume the sacrifice in order for it to be a valid mass. Very, very important, incredibly important. Now, Father Z, he were talking about this. He says, and he's clearly very angry in this letter he put out. He says, it is extremely vexing to learn of priests who are so thick, so arrogant that they can't or won't be exacting about the validity of sacraments. It isn't hard. You say the black and you do the red and you use valid matter. As the pillar, there is a note about how the Archdiocese of Kansas City has laid down the law about what wine can be used for Mass. It seems that at parishes, plural, invalid matter for Eucharist was used, invalid wine. Therefore, for years, none of the Masses were valid. None of the intentions for Mass were fulfilled. Hence, redress from Rome must be sought to deal with these intentions. And he says, for stupid, priest cannot claim ignorance about these things because it is a fundamental to their tool set. If they are ignorant about the issues of valid matter for mass, it is culpable ignorance. It is like running into a doctor who doesn't know about blood types. He said there can be, uh, there can be some additives as preservatives. It is of divine institution that the only valid substance for transubstantiation are the host bread made from wheat for the precious blood wine made from grapes he said the grapes must be ripe, which rules out wines such as Verhuis, and the wine for mass can be red, white, dry, sweet, whatever. Some prefer red because it resembles blood. Some prefer white because it's easier to clean the linens afterwards. And sometimes questions can come up about the wine with very low alcohol content in which a, a fermentation process is halted. He said that is a valid substance because it is from grapes and the natural fermentation process began making it wine. It has artificially low alcohol content but it is considered valid wine. However, there is the other end of the spectrum to be considered, which is wine which is, has an artificially high alcohol content, and that is not valid matter. Now, they said the fortified wines are valid matter so long as the wine spirit added was distilled from grapes, and that the quantity of alcohol added together and the natural content from the fermentation does not exceed 18%, and so then it would be valid matter. Now, here he goes on and says that the wine for Mass has to be from ripe grapes. It can be of any color, not corrupted, not frozen. Citing the Missal Romanum, we are warned against wine that is turning bad. As a matter of fact, it was illicit to say Mass with doubtful or soured wine. Now, he goes on and he explains this further. But this is, this is the, the point of the matter. 
in Kansas City, the Archbishop Nauman, which His Excellency came out during the consecration of the Immaculata, the church of the SSPX that they founded over in Kansas City. And he comes out and he says, yes, one can canonically fulfill one's obligation to participate in Holy Mass on Sundays and Holy Days by attending the SSPX. He says this, in which many people were like, oh, no, but the SSPX are schismatic. Well, the Archdiocese of Kansas City also came out and said that the the Archdiocese does not consider the SSPX to be schismatic. Now, uh, this is the thing that about this that's funny to me is that during this time in Kansas City, because this came out before we found out about the wine, so in these parishes in Kansas City, you could go to Mass at certain parishes, and you'd be attending Mass, and it would not be Mass at all. It'd be invalid. But the SSPX, which is, quote-unquote, in a canonically irregular situation, whatever that means, but are not schismatic, and you can't attend Mass, they're like, oh, we don't recommend you go there. However, they're the ones with the valid Mass. They're the ones that have nothing dubious about their matter, their form, their ordinations, their sacraments. The irony. It's a very concerning situation that we see these concerns. And this is why I am very concerned. And I only attend masses where I trust the priest. I trust the community, the religious community that it is. And I know that they're solid and they're not going to play loose with the sacraments, not play loose with the matter, not play loose with the form. That they're going to use the proper form and matter. That they're going to do, say the black and do the red. This is a very concerning story. And we as Catholics are obligated to know the faith. And are obligated to be able to pay attention, to be vigilant about what's going on in our churches. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst, that is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, that's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls, and we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Wednesday, May 7th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for this morning. 
LifeSite News is reporting the Omaha, Nebraska office of the FBI is finally offering a sizable monetary reward for information concerning violent threats made against pro-lifers late last year. The move comes after months of inaction by Biden's administration's Department of Justice in prosecuting pro-abortion extremists, followed by pressure from Republican lawmakers to crack down on the vandalism and threats. As LifeSite News previously reported in December 2022, an individual or individuals identifying themselves as members of the radical pro-abortion terror group Jane's Revenge left two notes threatening to shoot up pro-lifers in Nebraska shortly after the state legislature reportedly inched close to a ban on abortions after 12 weeks of gestation. Jane's Revenge has taken credit for vandalism and firebombings of pregnancy centers and churches across the country. Now, six months after the discovery of the notes, the FBI is finally offering up $15,000 for information about these letters. Zenit is reporting, after Cardinal Matteo Zuppi's first official visit as the Pope's delegate to the Ukrainian capital, he now faces the challenge of visiting the Russian president. However, Coming out this morning, according to what the Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said to the Russian agency, Russian news agency Taz, Putin has no plan to meet with Cardinal Zupi. For the time being, no meeting is included. I will inform you, said Peskov to the press after being asked about a meeting between Zupin, Zupi and Putin. And finally, LifeSite News is reporting Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary becomes a top streaming doc on Rotten Tomatoes. The breakthrough coincides with the start of Pride Month, so-called Pride Month, and comes after the film was viewed nearly two million times on Twitter over the weekend. On Sunday, the Daily Wire announced that the groundbreaking film had risen to the top of the entertainment website's best documentary movies at home category for June 2023. Barely seven days into the month, Although only six critic reviews have been submitted to the site, Rotten Tomatoes' overall quality rating is 83%. The current audience rating has dropped from 96 to 86%, a shift that Walsh blamed on criticism from people who didn't watch the film. And that is your news. And thank you very much, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Now... This uh, story, I wanted to uh, continue on, actually, uh, with a little bit more on the story from Father Z. He kind of wanted to conclude his article here. He says, all this information provides ample motive to stick with altar wines made by ecclesiastically approved vineyards or, you know, vineyards, people where the, the bishops have approved of these vineyards in order to make them work uh, the way they need them to. Now, he said, unless you can't for some reason, of course, and if it's for some reason you're not able to do so. And so he goes on. He says, however, a decent bottle of wine from a sound venter, even if it's not from an ecclesiastical approved source, will be valid matter. So, like, if you go to a, a source that does not have the, everything set up the way it's supposed to, well, in that case, then it is uh, not going to be a problem for us. Because you're, the valid matter, all it requires is the things that are set up, are the things like the amount of alcohol content, the grapes used, 
uh, those kind of things, the only things that matter. And so you don't have to actually be, is what he's saying, he doesn't have to be from an approved source as long as it's valid wine. So it's very important. Now he goes on and says, for example, if I were to open up that bottle of Tignanoli that I don't have, and I were to use it for mass, it would be valid and it would be tasty. Now, if you have a doubt, fathers, don't use it. Don't screw around with validity of sacraments. There is hardly anything crueler that a priest can do than to leave people in doubt about the validity of their sacraments. Now, this is something that we have to keep in mind because the validity of the sacraments is a big deal because these are matters of, of salvation, of salvation. Nothing else matters. At the end of the day, our salvation is the biggest thing, is the only thing that matters. Everything else falls away. But it is our salvation that stands as the forefront. A very, very concerning situation that we should definitely keep in mind and always be thinking about, especially in our days. That's the burden of being a Catholic in the 21st century. Being a Catholic in the 21st century means we cannot be on autopilot. It means we cannot just put our blinders on and say, okay, well, we're just going to go along, get along. Okay, we're just going to continue going as we have been. We're just going to do whatever Father says. We're going to show up to Mass. We're going to receive the sacraments, and we'll go about our day. We cannot do that. We do not have that luxury. Our cross to bear is that we must be educated. We must be informed about the faith. We must study the faith. We have to be in depth on the faith. This is necessary in our day. We do not have a choice. And the second thing that we need is vigilance. We have to be able to see what is going on. We have to know what is happening around us. We have to know. We cannot close our eyes. We cannot just pretend that everything is hunky-dory because things are not good. Things are very confusing in our days. And so you may ask, well, how can I know? How can I know? Well, this is echoing the words of Holy Scripture, where we very clearly talk about, very clearly talk about in the Holy Scripture, that how can I know unless somebody teach me? This is what's necessary. We have to be taught. But if our teachers are not passing on the faith the way they need to, the way they should be, well, then what is the goal? Well, Fulton Sheen tells us, Fulton Sheen tells us that it is the laity who will save the church. It is the laity who will save the church. So what do we have to do? We have to be rooted in tradition. We have to be deep in history. We have to know the faith inside and out. And how can we do so? We go to the trustworthy sources. Since in the last 60 to 100 years, last 70 years, 80 years, 60 to this time of time, there's been so much confusion and chaos and contradictions amongst those who would call themselves our leaders, those who would call themselves our prelates, those who would call themselves our priests, those who have been so much confusion. So what must we do? We go back to the sources. We go back to the way we were taught in the past. We go to the old catechism. That's why I love the old catechisms. I go back and read the catechism, the Council of Trent. I go back and read the catechism, St. Robert Bellarmine. I go read St. Thomas Aquinas. All these things, these are burdens that we have to bear. These are things that we have to learn and that we have to be up to date with. 
That is the cross that we have to bear. It's something that is difficult because maybe not all of us are called to be intellectuals. Maybe not all of us have the free time to be able to say, you know, I'm going to sit down with a, a, a book that is maybe not a, a good enjoying book, like a fiction book, but it's a, I don't have time to sit around with a old catechism and read it. Well, that is our cross. Our cross is that we have to know the faith and we have to know it well. And that is what we have to do. We don't have a choice, which is why here at the Catholic Drive Time team, we're actually going to be going through the St. Robert Bellarmine Catechism together. Because this is something that is very, very important for us to know the faith inside and out. And so we went through the Aquinas Catechism during the season of Lent. And now during the season of the of Pentecost, uh, the season after Pentecost, we're going to go through the St. Robert Bellarmine Catechism, a catechism written by a doctor of the church, St. Robert Bellarmine. And he wrote this catechism for the laity to know the faith. And so we're going to go through that together. How do you go through that with me? Well, we're going to go through it by, uh, you can go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, sign up for our email list, because I had mentioned that last week we were going to start the catechism series, but you're in luck because we had our GRN retreat and we had Memorial Day and I forgot to factor that in. And so it just got pushed back. So starting next week, which is Sherathon week, actually, we're going to be starting the Robert Bellarmine Catechism series. So get on that email list and you'll be informed about how to join us, how to be able to watch that catechism series, because it's going to be for our CDT insiders only. So go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get signed up for that email list. And in that email list, you'll be joined in our private Telegram chat. And then we will go through this uh, together. It'll be a very, very good time. And I look forward to and joining you, uh, joining you on that journey of learning the Catholic faith. And I want, you wouldn't want to stay with us in our Telegram chat and on our email list because we're going to start doing things like this periodically. Every few months, we'll take a break in between. So if people want to catch up, uh, they can catch up on old material. But I'm gonna, we're going to start teaching the faith. We're going to start going through these old catechisms, going through these old books of theology, maybe some moral manuals, maybe some uh, old seminary textbooks. And we're going to learn the faith together. We're going to know the faith inside and out because this is what we have to do today. And it's how we can pass it on to the future. And that's the only way that things get better. That priests, bishops, the future priests and bishops, our children, know the faith. It's the only way. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Since you may not agree that the New Testament came to us through the oral tradition of the apostles, how do you believe it did come to us? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a language aid. In Latin, the word tradition is a verb, not a noun. It's the act of handing over. Handing over what? Handing over the faith. You see, capital T tradition continues to answer the questions the Bible doesn't explicitly answer. For example, you've noticed that contraception or doctor-assisted suicide and many other crucial human topics are not laid out in the Bible. Secondly, analogous to baseball, the totality of baseball has been handed on to each generation. This is very different than just the small t tradition of saying not flipping the bat after hitting a home run. And thirdly, in case you're trying to rid church traditions to be non-traditional, just know that capital T tradition is what got you to Jesus. Drop kicking small religious traditions to be considered non-traditional is like the dog chasing his tail. His task is never fruitless and thoroughly silly. 
Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be here with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there is this other story that's all that is kind of insane. Kind of insane. A situation out of Florida. A Florida couple faces dozens of charges for allegedly partaking in a brutal pattern of child neglect, abuse, and torture against children in their home, detectives say. Uh, this story came up on my feed. And I saw this and I was thinking, wow, this is a really horrible uh, situation. Something that we should definitely be praying for these poor kids. And a, it says here that the sheriff's office said the situation began when Taylor Schaefer, 28, called deputies after getting a gut feeling that her boyfriend, 32 years old, was abusing her five-year-old child. She called 911 after checking surveillance video and confirming the abuse, according to deputies. Sheriff Mike Chitwood said Stone punched, kicked, and beat the child with a mop handle for having an accident. He was initially arrested on a charge of aggravated child abuse, but as detectives investigated the situation, they learned that the abuse was much worse than they initially thought. The deputy said that the surveillance video showed instances of the five-year-old victim being beaten and bound with his hands behind his back for hours in the day leading up to the 911 call. Now, I don't want to read to you the rest of the story because of how horrible it is, but what I do want to bring up here is that the situation happens. This is not an uncommon situation for people who are not the father of the kid to then be abusing someone else's child. This is very, very common. Very, very common. Kids have a right to their parents, to their fathers, to their mothers. And this is why marriage out of wedlock, or not marriage, is the having kids out of wedlock, of shacking up, of divorce, these things are very bad. Because statistically, the child is more likely to get abused by his mother's boyfriend than just about anybody else. The saddest thing about the story is that it's not uncommon. The problem is that we need marriages. We need families. It has to happen. It has to happen. Everything else is secondary. We have to promote the family. It has to be done at the very fundamental levels. And this means that we have to pass laws that will move to create a circumstance and which promotes families. Why do we, how do we do this? Well, a number of ways to do this is, for instance, passing laws that restrict privileges for people who have married, who have children out of wedlock. Like the, for instance, the current welfare system promotes having many kids out of wedlock, having many, quote unquote, 
baby daddies. Why? Because if you do, then the government's going to give you some money. The government gives you a check every time you have a kid out of wedlock. So instead of that, what if we gave a tax break to every child you have in wedlock? What if every time that you had a good and holy uh, family and you extended that family further, we gave you a tax break? Perhaps that's something that we should be doing instead. Instead of promoting vice and wickedness, we promote the good, the true, and the beautiful. How about we do that instead? Now, speaking of the good, the true, and the beautiful, Edward Penton uh, put out on his blog, uh, the Shart's record number of pilgrim, pilgrims. Shart's record number of pilgrims is a stunning testimony to the TLM's popularity among young Catholics. Now, I think the traditional faith all the way through is the answer to our problems. I think everything else will fall into place if we promote the traditional faith. All the errors that we have in the world, the suicide rate skyrocketing, the child abuse skyrocketing, the LGBT agenda being rampant across the country, all these things are here because we do not have the traditional faith. Now, Edward Pinson reports, he says, more pilgrims than ever will be participating in the traditional Shart's pilgrimage this year. So many that despite Traditionis Custodis and Pope Francis' restrictions on the traditional Latin Mass, for the first time, the organizers had to close registrations 10 days early. Over 16,000 pilgrims walked, were walking the route of St. Sulpich Church in Paris to Notre Dame Cathedral in Chartres over the Pentecost weekend, May 27th through 29th, a distance about 60 miles. He said the traditional and deeply historic pilgrimage, which dates back to the 12th century, was reinvigorated in 1983 by Notre Dame de Chartonnet Association. In recent years, with the exception of the time of COVID, it has been continually growing in popularity. Having walked the pilgrimage, having walked the Chartres pilgrimage every year for 30 years, I can say that, that there never was an expectation that it would sell out since the Chartres city center is so large, said Michael Matt, editor of the Remnant newspaper, who leads the American chapter on group of pilgrims. The fact that this pilgrimage has reached the maximum capacity this year is nothing less than a stunning testimony to the popularity of the Latin Mass among young Catholics. Last year, I was grateful for the opportunity to take part of the pilgrimage for the first time. A record crowd of 15,000 also attended that year and found it to be an enormously uplifting celebration of the faith. A chance to meet a hugely diverse group of mostly young Catholics. The average age is 20 and a half years old. And to walk through the streets of Paris and beautiful French countryside to the picturesque mid, uh, medieval city of Chartres. As with all pilgrims, pilgrimages, the journey to Chartres is an apt metaphor for life. The weather is changeable with warm, late spring sunshine mixed with clouds and occasional downpours. While the terrain is at times flat and easy, then rocky and demanding. Last year, the heavens opened for the first full day of the pilgrimage, turning the much of the route into a muddy swamp but it failed to dampen spirits. All along the route, one is accompanied by a vibrant and lively spirit of fellowship, and the penitential aspect of the pilgrimage is ever-present. Although not far from a pilgrimage, that pace is quick and the distance crammed into a relatively short time, making it at times quite a grueling experience, at least for us older folk. Pilgrims, pilgrims from 28 countries, and but mostly from France, will pray along the way this year.
reciting the rosary and singing songs. Last year, behind our chapter, we had a particularly exuberant group from St. Tropez in France, who heartily singing could be heard in the French Riviera while in front of us, Portuguese pilgrims peacefully sauntered along the route as if enjoying a Sunday afternoon in the Algrave. Perhaps less well-known is that not all the pilgrims are Catholics. A small number from other confessions, or none at all, take part. Around 300 priests and religious will be walking the route this year, and the priests will always be on hand to hear confessions. The TLM is, of course, widely available, and this year on Pentecost Monday, the former Apostolic Nuncio to Ukraine and Switzerland, Archbishop Thomas uh, Gullickson, will offer the solemn pontifical mass in Notre Dame de Chartres in the presence of the Bishop of Chartres. It is our sincere hope, Michael Matt said, that the Vatican will see in this event a non-polemical and joyful expression of the youth, vitality, and unitive power of the Latin Mass. Now, this is a very beautiful thing, and I've seen pictures of it. The, the pilgrimage already happened, and I've been following the pictures and photos, and I would love to go on this Chartres pilgrimage at some point. But the thing that is most encouraging about this is that there is hope for the future. That there are, things are not lost. Things look bad, and there's a dark cloud over our country, over our church. But we know the promise of our Lord is true. That the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And I think Benedict was prophetic when Benedict said that the church would have to get small. And then, like salt, would then salt the earth again. For it doesn't take a pound of salt to, to salt your food. It just takes a little salt to bring much flavor. And it is encouraging to see so many young people, so many people who love the faith, who want to fight for the faith, who are willing to travel across the world to go on this pilgrimage, and not a pilgrimage that is supposed to be this fun event where you have rock music and you have concerts, you have air conditioning and you have great food and all these different things. No, instead, this is a real pilgrimage, a walking pilgrimage, a pilgrimage where there is suffering, a walking of 60 miles. Have you ever walked 60 miles before? I've never walked 60 miles before. That is a long way to walk. And they do this. Why? Out of love for God, out of devotion to the church. This is why they do it. Not out of some misplaced idea of fun, but instead as a sacrifice to Almighty God. And this is the spirit that we must have, especially during the month of June, because during this time we meditate upon the most sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the heart of Christ is real and beating today. The heart of Christ is not a heart that is six feet under. No, the heart of Christ is risen. The heart of Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so when we meditate upon the most sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we think about his most wonderful heart, it should remind us also of his humanity. It should remind us also that our Lord bled and died for us. That his 
most sacred heart was wounded, was pierced with a spear out of love for us. But that is not the end of the story, however. It's not the end of the story because though he died for us, the most important thing is that he rose for us. That it is not a failure that he died. That it was not a conquering of Christ that he died. Instead, it is the exact opposite. Instead, it is a conquering of death, hell, and the enemy. That his risen heart reigns in heaven. That it reigns within us. And that it may once again reign in society. That all nations may call out, Long live Christ the King. Long live the Virgin of Guadalupe. And that's why I love the way the French talk about the Sacred Heart. They will say, the Sacred Hearts. And they unite the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. For the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary cannot be separated. They are one heart that beat in unison together. They cannot be separated. It is a heart that loves men so much that everything else falls away. So let's meditate upon the Sacred Heart today and every day during the month of June. Don't let anyone tell you that the month of June belongs to anybody or anything else. You cannot serve both God and man. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So today, let us serve God and let us have Christ as our King. Viva Cristo Rey. We'll be right back with more. Alan Smith of Bishop Sheen today, coming up right after this short break. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and... Uh, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the 10 most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologists. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. 
The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and Hey, this is Wayne from Ascension Chinese Mission, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ, Houston's Catholic Radio Station, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It's a wonderful day to be here on Catholic Radio. It's always a good day to be on Catholic Radio. Hopefully, joining us uh, via Zoom in just a moment will be Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. And we'll have him on and be talking about Fulton Sheen and talking about the virtues. We'll see if he will join us and it's just a moment and so we'll see hopefully he hops on uh, if not we'll continue on and there's many topics that we can definitely go on to uh, to be able to cover it'll be a very good conversation i'm certain of it so that conversation will be coming up in just a moment with alan smith so if not, uh, we'll have a conversation uh, with you today. Uh, it'll be a, it's a great day. You know, we're in the month of June, and we're just talking about the Sacred Heart. And, you know, it's very interesting to me because during the month of the Sacred Heart, it's very telling that the enemies of Christ rise up. Because during this time of the year, it's very common, in fact, for people to, instead of having the celebration of the Sacred Heart, they create their own liturgical calendars. They create their own liturgical calendars that promote vice instead of virtue. And this is something that is very concerning. It's something that is not good. In fact, it is the opposite of good. It is bad. But it's interesting because whatever the church lets go of, whatever the church gets rid of, they decide to stop taking in, the world, the flesh, and the devil picks up. And they decide to take over it. And they decide to try to use it as their own and for their own devices. And this is something that we have to keep in mind. And during this month, let's meditate upon that. And we're going to continue to be talking about these points uh, during this month of the Sacred Heart. Uh, but I also want to talk about this article here from Crisis Magazine, which is kind of in line with what we were talking about earlier. The Crisis Magazine, Sarah Kane, put an article called Yearning for Patriarchy. Now, here they're talking about the issue of patriarchy. And it's funny because this idea of a issue of patriarchy is something that is it's kind of funny because there really is no problem with what uh, with having what we call a patriarchy. Why? Because Christ is the father and patriarchy is a reference to the father. Everything else is directed to God, 
and God is father. And so rebellion against the patriarchy is a rebellion against God. And so what we need is not to destroy the patriarchy, these oppressive people, these wicked, evil people who hate women. No, that's not the case. Instead, the way about it is that it has to be a rightly ordered patriarchy. A rightly ordered patriarchy will always be good because that's the proper ordering of society. The proper ordering of society is patriarchy. And that is what God desires. So Sarah Kane in her article says, humans are wired for the structure of masculine authority. We crave the sense of order and we suffer when we are deprived of it. It's easier to see in regard to children, probably in large part because we have grown enough from the start of life that our egos don't bristle at the suggestion. Few people on either side of the political spectrum deny that children need fathers. Placed against almost every metric of success, children who have their fathers in their home outperform their underprivileged counterparts. Yet we stop paying attention when those people get older. Apparently, we've inferred that the need for the paternal simply ceases. I would posit that this deficient, this deficient uh, deficit, rather, there we go, of fathers isn't just limited to childhood, but that as adults too, too many are impoverished of the priestly or the fatherly guidance that is necessarily a part of life. We were created needing order and hierarchy. So let us examine in recent case in order that uh, we may make the point more clear. The Biden Department of Health and Human Services recently issued an ultimatum to Catholic Hospital Network, the St. Francis Health System in Oklahoma. They were told to extinguish the candle from their chapel or lose the accredited to the accreditation to treat government subsidized patients, including Medicare, Medicaid, and CHIP department dependents. The flame is prescribed to be in every Catholic church to symbolize the presence of our Lord within the tabernacle. Said simpler, it's a symbolic presence and representation of Christ's presence. Extinguish it is to comply with a government edict would be symbolic all of by itself, showing the smothering of the free practice of faith along with the elevation of government over God. Of course, the flame had never been a problem during the 60 years that this network of hospitals had been running. Four requests for an exemption were denied. The Catholic hospital network was being asked to engage in a public kneeling before the state, declaring its own apostasy for the world to see. A credible threat of a major lawsuit is the only thing that caused the Biden administration to concede. Yet that administration is headed by a man who is publicly, if only nominally, a Catholic. And as a Catholic who takes the faith seriously, I am pained by public figures who profess the faith before acting in a contrary manner or even targeting the observant faithful. Regrettably, it is a rare thing to witness the clergy admonishing such acts of transgression by a self-proclaimed Catholic. Father Keenan, the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in, in Irvingness, Illinois, gave a blessing with a guitar and had a layman offer the homily in violation of Catholic Church teaching. The archdiocese declined to comment despite the public attention the action garnered. Surely, duty called for a different response, if only to prevent the misunderstanding among the laity. The popular notion is that clergy should stay out of politics, but we're entering into a time when it's no longer possible. We need the hierarchy to stand in, to evangelize, to speak the truth, 
And whenever these things happen, it's usually in regards to things that are uh, against the faithful. It's very rarely that they that the bishops and our priests will stand up for the faithful. It's a very concerning situation that we see. But what I'm encouraged by is that bishops like Bishop Joseph Strickland are doing things to combat the wickedness of the world. In fact, what do we see? What do we see is that Bishop Strickland, he's actually heading to L.A. He's going to Los Angeles. This this small-time bishop in Tyler, Texas, he's going to L.A. to lead a Eucharistic procession from the L.A. Cathedral to the Dodger Stadium in protest against these people who attack the faith. And what does a father do when his family is under attack? He defends them. A father defends his wife and his children. And it should be no different when it comes to our fathers in the faith. Our priests and bishops are our fathers. And when the faithful, their sheep, their children are under attack, they not only should, but are obligated to stand up and defend the faithful. This is their obligation. This is their obligation before Almighty God. And yet, so many times, the bishops fail in their obligation. They fail to do what they are called to do. And this causes great problems in the church. But I am encouraged, and I hope that more people will see the reaction that Bishop Strickland gets. That Bishop Strickland is well-loved by the faithful. Why? Because when we look at Bishop Strickland, we see someone who cares about us. Someone who loves God and loves us. And the bishop should be a model of fatherhood. Should be a model of what it means to be a husband and a father. Because they are called to a higher life of fatherhood. To a more spiritual and a more perfect fatherhood. So just as the father of a home must, absolutely must, be dedicated to God first and foremost, his primary end should be towards God. This goes for the husband and the wife, not just the husband. But the spouses should have God as the primary focus of their lives. Number one. The absolute number one. And then they care about their spouse and their children. That comes secondary. That comes afterwards. And so you have Bishop Strickland who shows us that he loves the Holy Eucharist, that he loves Almighty God, that he's willing to stand up for God, but then he's also willing to stand up for the faithful. And he's willing to go out there and teach the faithful. He goes out and does interviews with people who, and they let them ask whatever questions that they want. He goes out and meets with the people of God. He goes out and he makes it very easy to talk to the people. And when he does this, he shows us what it's like, what it means to be a father. And so that's why the faithful love him. That's why so many of the faithful Catholics look to Bishop Strickland as their bishop, even though Bishop Strickland is not technically their bishop. But they say, this is my bishop because Bishop Strickland stands up for us. And so I am very tempted, and I I may do so. I may go out and fly out to L.A. and go join him, this this great uh, father of the faith, this, this great bishop, Who's, the, who's calling out the wolves, who's fighting against those who would seek to destroy us. This is what we have to do. 
And this is very, very important that we do so. So let's keep that in mind. Let's meditate upon what it means to be a shepherd, to be a father, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. That is the person we want as our shepherd, one who imitates Christ in all things, not the shepherd that flees from the wolves because that is not a true father. We live in an age of absconding fathers, fathers who leave the home. And this goes in the secular world, but also goes in the church. And so I'm thinking I may, I may do this. I, I'm kind of up in the air about it. I was talking about this yesterday. I may fly out to L.A. maybe next weekend and spend the day, spend Friday, the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and spend the day with uh, Bishop Strickland and go and do that rosary rally, that procession with the Holy Eucharist from the L.A. Cathedral to the L.A. Dodger Stadium. And what a grace that'll be. I hope to God that that'll be filled with people, that we can make our voices heard in peaceful, prayerful protest. But not only peaceful and prayerful protest, but also reparation. And that is the primary reason we do things like this. Yes, it's good to protest. I 100% agree with protest. I 100% agree with boycotts. I think we should do those things. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the number one thing that matters, the number one thing is that we offer reparation for the offenses against God, for the offenses against Our Lady, Our Lady whose heart is wounded by those outrages, those evils, those wickedness that is flung onto her most beloved son. And if we do not follow the words of our Lord who said, behold your mother, who told us that we must behold our mother, she who loves us as a true mother, who loves us as her sons, if we do not if we are not offended by those things that wound her heart, then what kind of son are we? What kind of son are we who are not offended when our mother is offended? Who will not make acts of reparation? Who will not go to comfort her? Who will not stand up and fight for her? And if we do not have our lady as our mother, then how could we possibly say that we have Christ as our brother? Something to think about today. Something to meditate upon, especially as we go into our Fear and Trembling game show. You can call in now, 877 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Call now. We always take the first caller. So make sure you're calling 877-757-9424. We always take the first caller. So make sure you call now. And we have open lines at the moment. So the next person to call in will be our contestant. Last time, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with more right after this. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. Welcome to the Fear and Trembling Game Show, where we give out prizes and you could win. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, called in. We had a, a couple callers call in, uh, but we always take the first caller. So if you do not get on today, well, make sure you hop on tomorrow. We still have a couple more opportunities to win the prize. So write down this number. You can write it down right now. I'm going to give you the number in just a second. You can write down that number, put it in your speed dial, and you can call in. And so that way you can hang out with us and play the game show and win the prize this week. So that make sure you write this number down. I'm giving it to you right now. 877-757-9424. Now here's a pro tip for you. If you want to hop on early or you want to make sure you get that number down in a way that's easy for you, well, just remember this, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That number, that website rather, grnonline.com forward slash CDT is where you can find all of our information about the show. You can find our phone number listed there, our email list is there, and all the information about the show is listed there, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. So make sure you're able to go there, get our number, put in your speed dial, and call in tomorrow. We have two more opportunities, Thursday and Friday, for you to call in. Now, you may be asking, what am I listening to? What what are you asking me to call into? It's very simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me. We're playing a Catholic trivia game, Fear and Trembling. And these three Catholic trivia questions, the trick is I'm not going to ask you the question. No, instead, I'm going to ask Tito the question, He's going to give me an answer, and it's going to be your job to tell me if he's right or if he's wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? 
Thank you very much, Adrian. They could win the <laughs> they can win the uh, CDT prize pack. And that CDT prize pack, we have the John Hank signatures of Adrian Ponseca and Tito Edwards on a coffee cup, a book by Fulton Sheen, and another book to be named later. So if you're looking for some good reading and a cup of joe to fill up your time, this is the way to acquire those goods. Again, it's the CDD prize pack. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, thank you very much. And so uh, that's the prize this week, okay? All right. Uh, joining us right now uh, via phone is Tony. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. Uh, where are you calling from, Tony? Mm, I am calling from coming from Rowlett, Texas. Oh, is this our, our buddies, Kim and Tony? There is. It is. Praise be to God. Oh, it's good to hear your voice again. Uh, thanks for calling in. And uh, y'all are veterans, so no need to explain anything to y'all. Y'all are pros here. And, Tony, uh, how is your summer going? Have you started summer yet? Uh, I sure did. You it's sure did. Friday was my day. Praise be to God. And what are you going to do this summer? Anything exciting? Well, well, we're so we're going to be actually in a in a hotel um, tonight, which means we're going to be flying to Maryland. Awesome! Praise be to God. That's a great time, place to be. I've heard that Maryland has beautiful scenery and great weather. So enjoy it while you're there before you come back to Rowlett, Texas. And uh, we'll we'll be praying that you have a safe travel. Um, But Tony, are you ready to play the game? I'm sure you are. I'm ready. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. The first question, Tito. All right. The question on the board. Name the contemplative monastic order founded. You guys turn that down a little bit. Way too loud. Thank you very much. Uh, the order founded by St. Bruno of Cologne in 1084. 1084. That's, wow, that's uh, the precursor to the great uh, abundance of saints the following century. St. Bruno, I, I have it on the tip of my tongue, uh, but I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say the Brunites. The Brunites? Yes. Saint, oh, Saint, interesting. St. Uh, Bruno, uh, the Brunites. Uh, I know it's a very, it's a contemplative order. It's a very devout and pious. The piety is, is very strong, uh, very rigorous, but I can't remember the name. So I'm going with Brunites. All right. The Brunites is what you're going with. So Tony, 15 seconds on the clock. You know how this works. The question on the board is name the contemplative monastic order founded by St. Bruno of Cologne in 1084, 15 seconds on the clock. And the question, the answer that Tito's going with is the Brunites. And so the that's the question. That's the answer he's giving. And so uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Uh, we There you go. There's the clock. And what say you, Tony? Is he right or is he wrong? Okay, I believe he's wrong. But I think Joe might say, whoa, 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 go the other way. No, no, maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm going the other way. You're going to go with, wait, are you going to go with, right. uh, you're going to go with right. Are you sure you don't want to stay with your original answer? Wrong. You can go with wrong. Yes. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yes, that is correct. 
It is correct. It is not the Brunites. The correct answer is the Carthusians. The Carthusians are the monastic order founded by St. Bruno of Cologne in 1084. Uh, very good, uh, Tony. You're doing very well. I think you're going to be doing, uh, you're doing a great job, and I'm sure you're going to get three for three. Uh, are you ready for question number two, Tony? Definitely. Definitely, he says. Definitely. That's, Definitely. that's the like confidence, confidence that I like to hear. So very good, Tony. Uh, let's jump into question number two. Tito? I'm ready. Let's do this. Where do we find the chief truths taught by Jesus Christ through the Catholic Church? Ah, uh, the creed. It's the creed. I'm supposed to name the creed. Okay. Uh, I'm going with the Nicene Creed. You're going to go with the Nicene Creed. Yes, Nicene Creed. Okay. Nicolation. Yeah, Nicene Creed. Okay. Nicene Creed is what you're going with. Yes, sir. All right. Well, Tony, uh, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board. Uh, where do we find the chief truths taught by Jesus Christ through the Catholic Church? And uh, what say you, Tony? Tito seems to think it's the Nicene Creed. Is that right or is that wrong? Tony from Rowlett, Texas, heading to Maryland. He, he got it right. He got it right. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. We're going with it. Oh, Tony. Oh, tricky. It was a tricky question. The The correct answer is the, ap- the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed <laughs> is the chief truth taught by Jesus Christ to the Catholic Church. Though... The Nicene Creed is basically the Apostles' Creed, just they added a little bit of things for, for clarifying purposes, and so it's pretty much the right answer, but it is, in fact, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed written by the Apostles themselves, which is why it's the chief truth taught by Jesus Christ through the Catholic Church. Uh, so very good, Tony. You, uh, you fell for it, but I understand. I might have fell for the same thing, so no shame no there. Shame. No good shame attitude. there. Uh, are you ready for question number three, Tony? Yep, that last one. Um, I should say wrong, but oh well, I'm going for number three. Don't worry, don't worry. You have a you have a chance, a very good chance of getting this right. I'm looking at the question here, and I'm saying there's probably about a 87, maybe 93 percent chance that you're going to get this one right. That's a scientific number. Uh, I didn't just make that number up. Do not <laughs> fact check me. Uh, just just go with it. Are you ready, Tony? I am. I got my ear ready. All right, let's do it. All right, Tito. Okay. The question on the board: What do we call the small container used to carry the Eucharist to the sick? Ah, yes, it's around. Well, it can be any shape, but normally it's round, with emblazoned with the, the Greek Cairo. Uh, but any other sig- uh, sign would be fine. It's called a pix. It's a unique little item, a nice uh, uh, thing to carry around. Well, to carry around when you're serving others or bringing them the Eucharist. The Picks, P-Y-X. Picks. Picks. Yes. Picks. All right. The Picks. Tony, I don't know if you've ever heard the word Picks before, if you're, or if you know anything about this, but we're going to find out. <laughs> Fifteen seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what do we call the small container used to carry the Eucharist to the sick? What say you, Tony, from Rowlett, Texas? Is he right or is he wrong? Is a Pix the small container used to carry the Eucharist to the sick? Okay. I think I'm going to say he's right. You're going to say he's right. 
That is correct, Tony. Way Excellent. to go. That is correct. Yes. You nailed it. Very, very good. We appreciate you. Uh, Tony, you did a great job. How do you feel? It's two for three. That's good odds. Those are good odds. Yes. I, I feel great. You feel great. Praise be to God. I'm <laughs> glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Especially since, you know, these uh, these odds are still better. Are still better than if you went to the casino. Yep. Or the lottery. It's, or the lottery. So, way to go. Two out of three is a is a great opportunity, and we we love to hear you call in. So thank you very much, Tony, for calling in. Make sure you stay on hold, and we'll make sure to get your contact information. So should we draw your name out on Friday, uh, we will be able to give you a call back. Uh, but God bless you, Tony, and and have a safe trip to uh, Maryland, and have a good vacation, and and wish the best to your family. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna put you thank on you. hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side of Catholic Drive Time. If you can join us in the next hour, well, please do so. And we'd love to have you, or not the next hour, in the, in the next minute, rather. The next minute, if you can join us in the after show, we'd love to have you. Uh, there are many things that we would like to talk about. And you can join us. Just hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and look up Catholic Drive Time there. And then you can be able to join us. And we're going to have a conversation with you directly. Anything you want to talk about, we will discuss with you. It'll be a good time. So make sure you hop onto our social media feeds, type in Catholic Drive Time there, and join us. And one of the things we're going to do today is I'm going to be looking at these uh, things that were popular like 80 years ago. And I'm going to ask, okay, do I know how to do any of these things? And everybody's going to make fun of me for being too young. So we're going to talk about that. And just a moment, and whatever it is you want to talk about. But if not, I'll see you back here, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. God bless you. God love you. And remember, Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Corpus Christi. Today we celebrate Wednesday of the ninth week of the year. We offer this Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for all of our online viewers and all those listening at Guadalupe Radio Network. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, and with your spirit. Let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, Christ eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. O God, whose providence never fails in its design. Keep from us, we humbly beseech you, all that might harm us, and grant all that works for our own good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Tobit. Grief-stricken in spirit, I, Tobit, groaned and wept aloud. Then with sobs I began to pray. You are righteous, O Lord, and all your deeds are just. All your ways are mercy and truth. You are the judge of the world. And now, O Lord, may you be mindful of me and look with favor upon me. Punish me not for my sins, nor for my inadvertent offenses, nor for those of my ancestors. We sinned against you and disobeyed your commandments. So you handed us over to plundering, exile, and death. Do you made us the talk and reproach of all the nations, among whom you had dispersed us. Yes, your judgments are many and true in dealing with me as my sins and those of my ancestors deserve. For we have not kept your commandments, nor have we trodden the paths of truth before you. So now deal with me as you please and command my life breath be taken from me, that I may go from the face of the earth into dust it is better for me to die than to live, because I have heard insulting calumnies. I am overwhelmed with grief. Lord, command me to be delivered from such anguish. Let me go to the everlasting abode. Lord, refuse me not. For it is better for me to die than to endure so much misery in life and to hear these insults. On the same day, at Ekbaktana in Medea, it so happened that Raguel's daughter, Sarah, had also listened to abuse from one of her father's maids, for she had been married to seven husbands, but the wicked demon, Asmodeus, killed them off before they have, could have intercourse with her, as it is prescribed for wives. So the maid said to her, You are the one who strangles your husbands. Look at you. You have already married seven times, but you have no joy and with any one of your husbands. Why do you beat us? Is it on account of your seven husbands because they are dead? May we never see a son or daughter of yours. The girl was deeply saddened that day, and she went into the upper chamber of her house, where she planned to hang herself. 
but she reconsidered, saying to herself, No, people would level this insult against my father. You had only one beloved daughter, but she hanged herself because of ill fortune. And thus would I cause my father in his old age to go down to the netherworld laden with sorrow. It is far better for me not to hang myself, but to beg the Lord to have me die, so that I need no longer live to hear such insults. At that time, then she spread out her hands, and facing the window, poured out her prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, merciful God, and blessed is your holy and honorable name. Blessed are you in all your works forever. At that very time, the prayer of these two suppliants was heard in the glorious presence of Almighty God. So Raphael was sent to heal them both, to remove the cataracts from Tobit's eyes, so that he might again see God's sunlight, and to marry Ragel's daughter, Sarah, to Tobit's son, Tobiah, and then to drive the wicked demon Asmodeus from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. In you I trust, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. No one who waits for you shall be put to shame. Those shall be put to shame who heedlessly break faith. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Remember that your compassion, O Lord, and your kindness are from of old. In your kindness remember me, because of your goodness, O Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Good and upright is the Lord. Thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice. He teaches the humble his way. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Alleluia. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me will never die. Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and put this question to him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and died, leaving no descendants. So the second brother married her and died, leaving no descendants. And the third likewise, and the seven left no descendants. Last of all, the woman also died. At the resurrection when they arise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, Are you not misled because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, 
but of the living. You are greatly misled. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In today's readings, the God of the living listens to prayers. He hears your agony, he sees your pain, he understands your sorrow. He collects all your tears in his palm. He knows you. And that same God is the one who wants your happiness. He desires your good, not your shame. He desires your holiness. He does not desire your destruction. Even though sometimes life really, really is very difficult. I was talking to my mother yesterday. She's a new widow. My, my father died about four months ago. And I said, how are you doing? And she said, I feel like Job. Her truck broke down and she can't use the console anymore. On the way home from the dealership where they said they fixed it, five minutes after she left, the a car that she was trying to drive, the brake pads are squeaky and it's, she's scared to drive it. Her tooth had a root canal. She's got an abscess in another tooth. She's got all these bills that she's got to pay and she's got all this legal stuff she's got to do. And she's just beset with sorrow. There are times when your life has a season of grief and there are many tears. And God knows that. And why? Why would that happen? The story of Tobit and Tobiah and Sarah is so joyful because they have gone through so much tragedy. Your heart needs to be stretched open so that it can love more. Eternal life is about that. It's about eternal bliss and eternal joy. And when we look to that place where our loved ones have gone before us and they are enjoying that eternal beatitude, the blessedness of the just after this life where they sit face to face with God, that hope of eternal life makes this life bearable. And that's not to say that our eyes are kind of taken off of our main goal, like as if it was some kind of opiate to calm us, to take us away from what we should really be doing. But that grounds us, and we begin to live on earth as it is in heaven, hoping for that eternal life. This passage in the, in the gospel with the Sadducees and Jesus, Pope St. John Paul used it in the text where Jesus appeals to the resurrection when he wrote the theology of the body. He, he referred to this, that there's a, a, a reason, there's a meaning of the human body that can only be unlocked when you understand that your body was made for eternal life. It was made for resurrection. If you look at your hands and your feet, these are destined to be with God forever, not just your soul, but your very body. Therefore, what you do with it, as you work through this valley of tears and this, this ocean of sorrow that we have here below, it can somber you and it can dedicate you and show you that you were made for something better than this and that you don't have to be swayed down by many fears and sorrows on this earth, but that you can have that hope that it will get better. The best is yet to come. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, that it may shine forth with the holiness of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our Holy Father, all bishops and priests, 
that they may be good stewards of God's holy word and his sacraments. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for government leaders, that they may not obstruct Christ. We pray for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor, the lost, the rejected, the abandoned, those who are most in need of God's mercy, and that we will see Jesus in his distressing disguise and respond with generosity and kindness. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all of our beloved dead, that they may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us, for make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ, and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I trust, I trust in you. Jesus, I love, Jesus, I love, Jesus, I love, I love you. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. Trusting in your compassion, O Lord, we come eagerly with our offerings to your sacred altar, that through purifying action of your grace, we may be cleansed by the very mysteries we serve. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your word to whom you made all things, whom you sent as our Savior and Redeemer, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin, fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people. He stretched out his hands as he endured his passion, so as to break the bonds of death and manifest the resurrection. And so with the angels and all the saints, we declare your glory, as with one voice we acclaim, Sanctus 
Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice, Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant, Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you summoned before you in your compassion, O merciful Father. Gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. Remember your servants, whom you have called from this world to yourself. 
Grant that they who are united with your Son in a death like his may also be one with him in his resurrection, when from the earth he will raise up in the flesh those who have died and transform our lowly body after the pattern of his own glorious body. To our departed brothers and sisters too, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory when you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. For seeing you, our God as you are, we shall be like you for all the ages and praise you without end through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Roho him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Proceptis salutaribus moniti et divin institutioni formati audemus dicere Pater noster qui es in celis sanctificetur nomen tuum adveniat regnum tuum fiat voluntas tua Sicut in cielo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed liberanos a malo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always and with your spirit. On you stay, quitolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, quitolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, agnus Dei, quitolis peccatam mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter into my roof. But only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. The body of Christ can be saved to eternal life. Communion Antiphon. Amen, I say to you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe you will receive it, and it will be yours, says the Lord.
act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came, I came to Jesus, and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till traveling days are done. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Let us pray. Governed by your Spirit, we pray, O Lord, those you feed with body and blood of your Son, that professing you, not just in word or in speech, but also in works and in truth, we may merit to enter the kingdom of heaven through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your Spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, I'm Leon Fontana from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. You're listening.